Donald Trump blasts Ron DeSantis. Mike Pence blasts Donald Trump. And what's going on in the Arizona races? Find out all about it on this special edition of the Doc Washburn Show. Welcome to the Voice of the Resistance with Doc Washburn. We're the show that pushes back against Uniparty and lets you in on the news that traditional talk radio is all too often afraid to talk about. This is episode 279 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show for Thursday, November 10th, 2022. Just so you understand where I'm coming from, I was fired by one of the biggest radio companies in America, Cumulus Media, simply because I refused their vaccine mandate. More evidence comes out all the time that a lot of people are having serious negative reactions to the vaccines. Also, I will never call Joe Biden president because it's obvious the last U.S. presidential election was stolen. I will never pretend a man can become a woman. And I will never forget about the January 6th political prisoners most Republican politicians refuse to even mention. And August 8th, 2022, the day the Biden regime's secret police conducted an unprecedented and unconstitutional raid on the home of a former president of the United States is a day that shall live in infamy. So this really different kind of talk show, we're unmasked, uncensored, and unfiltered. If you'd like to support what we do, go to our website, docwashburn.com, and click on the button that says Become a Patron. Also, please remember to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Okay, Donald Trump, a few hours ago, went out on his Truth Social social media platform with an official statement, and here's what he said. News Corp, which is Fox, the Wall Street Journal, and the no longer great New York Post, is all in for Governor Ron DeSanctimonious an average Republican governor with great public relations who didn't have to close up his state, but did, unlike other Republican governors, whose overall numbers for a Republican were just average, middle of the pack, including COVID, and who has the advantage of sunshine, where people from badly run states up north would go no matter who the governor was, just like I did. Okay, now before we get to the rest of the statement, let's uh, let's address some things here. It was President Trump who was urging governors to close up their states. To his credit, Ron DeSantis opened Florida back up before most states, but his neighbor to the immediate north, Governor Kemp of Georgia opened his state back up before Florida was opened back up. And it wasn't just Fauci and Burks that criticized Governor Kemp for opening state back up. Donald Trump himself did. So, I mean, the record is what the record is. And to see Ron DeSantis do things which drive the establishment Republicans crazy like pushing back against this transgenderism, pushing back against critical race theory, like having the guts to go after the biggest employer in the state, Disney, for pushing 
sexualized indoctrination of small children in public schools, that doesn't really sound like an average Republican governor to me. I'm sitting in Arkansas. Our Republican governor is very average. He never would have done any of that stuff. Anyway, Trump continues in his statement. He says, Ron came to me in desperate shape in 2017. He was politically dead, losing in a landslide to a very good agriculture commissioner, Adam Putnam, who was loaded up with cash and great poll numbers. Ron had low approval, bad polls, and no money, but he said that if I would endorse him, he could win. I didn't know Adam, so I said, let's give it a shot, Ron. When I endorse, well, now wait a minute, why didn't you vet each one and see which one was was better candidate instead of just say okay? Anyway, I mean, really, why didn't you? Anyway, Trump says, when I endorsed him, it was as though, to use a bad term, a nuclear weapon went off. Years later, they were the exact words that Adam Putnam used in describing Ron's endorsement. Putnam said, I went from having it made with no competition to immediately getting absolutely clobbered after your endorsement. Well, now, it's odd at this point, Trump would talk about what a great guy Adam Putnam was because he's a lib. Now, I lived in Florida for a number of years And conservatives there were very concerned about the possibility of Adam Putnam being the next governor because he's a big Agenda 21 guy. The Florida legislature passed an $8 billion energy bill all about subsidizing alternative energy sources. It became law without the signature of Governor Rick Scott. And Tea Party folks went to the Secretary of Agriculture, Adam Putnam, to try to get him to push back. Oh, no, 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 no. He was all about that. So now Trump is trying to say that if only he had known what a great conservative candidate Adam Putnam was, he wouldn't have endorsed Ron. Well, I mean, you got a staff. You could have vetted both of them, right? Hold on. Hold on. Trump continues. He says, I then got Ron by the so-called star of the Democrat Party, Andrew Gillum, who was later revealed to be a crackhead, (laughs) well, that's true, by having two massive rallies with tens of thousands of people at each one. I also fixed his campaign, which had completely fallen apart. I was all in for Ron, and he beat Gillum, but after the race, when votes were being stolen by the corrupt election process in Broward County, and Ron was going down 10,000 votes a day, along with now Senator Rick Scott, I sent in the FBI and the U.S. attorneys, and the ballot theft immediately ended just prior to them running out of the votes necessary to win. I stopped his election from being stolen. I've never heard about that before. Have you? I mean, I, I, I see people out there today saying he's making that up. I, I don't know anything about that. He says, and now Ron DeSanctimonious is playing games. The fake news asks him if he's going to run if President Trump runs, and he says, I'm only focused on the governor's race. I'm not looking into the future. Well, in terms of loyalty and class, 
That's really not the right answer. This is just like 2015 and 2016, a media assault collusion when Fox News fought me to the end until I won, and then they couldn't have been nicer or more supportive. Oh, no, 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 no. Fox News was all in for you during the primaries, Don. I I don't know what's happened to your memory, but I remember it well because I was a cruise guy. No, they were all in for you, buddy. They were carrying your rallies live, wall-to-wall, all the time, and not anybody else's. Now, they fought you to the end starting in 2020, but not in 2015 and 2016. They gave you zillions of dollars of free coverage. And the fact that you're lying about that, that's, that's troubling. Anyway, he says the uh, Wall Street Journal loved low-energy Jeb Bush and a succession of other people as they rapidly disappeared from sight, finally falling in line with me after I easily knocked them out one by one. We're in exactly the same position now. They will keep coming after us, MAGA, but ultimately we will win, put America first, and make America great again. Now, there are a lot of people a lot sharper than me who have a lot to say about this. Let's start with the the great Allie Beth Stuckey, great podcaster out there and blogger. She says, Trump's statement reads like DeSantis slighted him in some way, but really he's just upset that other people are talking about DeSantis's presidential potential. I mean, I, I didn't see Trump thank DeSantis for condemning Biden and Merrick Garland for raiding Mar-a-Lago, you know? When we talk about loyalty, when we talk about gratitude, I mean, really? That's a weird one. Also, also, the great Pedro... Gonzalez of the Chronicles magazine. He has an interesting response to, uh, to Trump's statement. He said, the most self-destructive thing that could happen on the right now would be for the Trump camp and DeSantis camp to fight. They're good people who agree on much in both. The only ones who would benefit from it would be Libs, and the establishment. So, almost immediately when he tweeted that, the response from a lot of Trump fans is, but DeSantis is the establishment. To which Pedro says, Trump world is filled with Bush people, Evan McMullen fans, and neocons who just happen to wear MAGA hats. Every claim you can make against DeSantis in this regard can be made against Trump, which is why it's moot and pyrrhic. And then other people on DeSantis' side will say, but Trump started it. Well, true, but what do you expect? He's ego-driven. The thing is to not encourage it. It's true, creeps like David Frum support DeSantis just to spite Trump. But Trump's first administration was effectively run by Jared Kushner, who has more in common with David Frum than he does with the people attacking DeSantis for getting support from David from. 
My point is that the only people who benefit from these two camps incinerating each other are ultimately the enemies of both, setting aside bad actors and grifters in either one, of course. About Trump's statement today, Pedro Gonzalez says this is the most deranged statement Trump could put out. He quotes DeSantis saying he's not looking to run for president and says that's not good enough. So Trump looks petty here, like DeSantis lives in his head. DeSantis should not take the bait. This is just so incredibly stupid. Can't think of a dumber waste of time and resources and energy that mobilizing Trump supporters to hate DeSantis supporters, who they otherwise have pretty much everything in common with. If I wanted to undermine the right, I would encourage Trump to launch unprovoked attacks on the most popular right-wing governor in America whose supporters are also Trump supporters. And then somebody responded to him saying, it's a ploy. Paul Ryan and establishment D.C. donors and the likes of Jeb Bush are in talks with DeSantis. The establishment wants to use him to rid Trump. If DeSantis won't do it, they'll use Pompeo or Youngkin. They want to return to Bush-Clinton-style politics. Pedro Gonzalez responds. He says, the problem with the theory that Trump is reacting to a plot against him by the establishment is that Trump literally endorsed Kevin McCarthy, the actual establishment. And DeSantis has explicitly said he's not running. This just looks paranoid and hypocritical. He says, this is what you would expect if Trump and DeSantis were to go head-to-head in a race, but right now, it just looks like Trump's stirring the pot. I hope he stops doing this and that DeSantis just ignores it if he doesn't. He goes on. He says, who endorsed Ronna McDaniel to be head of the party, Mitch McConnell to be leader of the party in the Senate, and Kevin McCarthy to be leader of the party in the House, after McCarthy deliberately bombed MAGA candidates like Anthony Sabatini. Now, Anthony Sabatini was a 100% pro-Trump candidate for District 7 of the U.S. House in Florida. And, of course, did not get the nomination. He said, this is a bad line of attack. It just serves to paint everyone who disagrees with this beef as an establishment shill. And he's got got the screenshots here of Trump endorsing McConnell and uh, Ronna McDaniel, Mitt Romney's sister-in-law, for their respective positions. Pedro Gonzalez concludes, for the record, I wish DeSantis would focus on building a coalition of governors and not run for president now. He needs to build that coalition of governors to bypass the federal regime while Trump would use his platform to change Republican leadership. The problem is we're trained to think in sections of four years and nothing else. Now, there's a lot more response to Trump's statement today.
going after DeSantis. Let me start with the great Hans Monkey over the EpicTimes.com who says, often forgotten that while Paul Ryan was sabotaging Trump and Devin Nunes, was tied up in a fake ethics investigation, Ron DeSantis was the only member of Congress who was trying to shut down the Robert Mueller witch hunt of Trump. This was at a time when almost all the other Republicans in Congress, Senate and House, were singing Robert Mueller's praises. Let's take a look at the receipts, shall we? August 28, 2017. U.S. Representative Ron DeSantis, Republican Florida, is pushing an amendment to severely curtail special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into the Trump campaign's ties to Russia. August 31st, 2017. Ron DeSantis on Twitter saying, here's my op-ed about the need to bring accountability to the Rosenstein-Muller investigation. September 19th, 2017. An opinion piece by Ron DeSantis at foxnews.com entitled, Congress Shouldn't Fund a Trump-Russia Fishing Expedition. Last but not least, from the Fox Business Network, December 7th, 2017, Congressman Ron DeSantis saying whatever Mueller ends up doing doesn't have legitimacy when you have all this evidence of tainted and political bias and the disparate treatment between Hillary Clinton and Trump associates. I mean, you got to admit that's DeSantis going to bat for Trump, and Trump's acting like, ah, no loyalty, no appreciation. Looks like he was there when it counted, you know? I just, you know, thought I'd throw that out there. Look, we got a lot more. We have a lot more thoughts about Trump's statement today. We also have an op-ed that Mike Pence wrote about what happened on January 6th. Boy, talk about no self-awareness. And we got to talk about what's going on in Arizona where I fear they're trying to steal it. So there is a lot to talk about. But first, I just want to say thank you once again. We show our loyalty. We show our appreciation to our advertisers who make it possible for us to do what we do here day in and day out, now into our second year. If you try to buy a car recently, you realize there's such a chip shortage, you may have a hard time finding what you're looking for. People I know have actually bought vehicles from hundreds of miles away from where they live. That's where Red River Your Way comes in. Red River Your Way is a big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom. The freedom to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV the way you want to. You can buy online. They'll drive it to you no matter where you are in the continental United States of America. Red River Your Way wants to make your car buying experience as easy and transparent as possible. That's why they've added technology to their website that puts you in complete control of your payment options and allows you to complete the entire purchase process online. But don't worry. 
Red River experts are still here to help you every step of the way if you have any questions. Red River makes it so easy. As you browse their selection, you'll see each vehicle has an Explore Payment Options button. Clicking that guides you through a few easy questions that then create personalized payment options you have complete control over. All you have to do is adjust your preferences, and all the math happens automatically so you can determine what monthly payment works best for your budget. Red River Your Way makes car buying online easy. Your whole car buying process is completely transparent. If you want to buy a car, truck, van, or SUV, order online from the nationwide car dealer that believes in freedom, the dealer that will deliver your vehicle to your front door no matter where you live in the continental USA. RedRiverYourWay.com. You will be so glad that you did. Hey, I'm glad I did. That is for sure. All right. Are you sick and tired of funding the progressive left's woke agenda with your cell phone bill going to one of the big carriers? Well, now you have an option. Patriot Mobile is America's only Christian conservative wireless carrier. Now more than ever, it is important to band together and support companies that share our conservative values. Patriot Mobile donates a portion of every dollar earned to organizations that fight for causes you care about. Patriot Mobile has exceptional nationwide coverage and uses the same towers the main carriers use. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget along with great discounts for our veteran and first responder heroes as well as multi-line users. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, you're shifting your support from the leftist progressive agendas of Big Mobile to the Christian conservative causes of Patriot Mobile. When you become a Patriot Mobile member, your dollars are helping to fund our God-given right to freedom. A portion of every dollar they earn is given back to the causes that support organizations that fight for First Amendment religious freedom, freedom of speech, Second Amendment right to bear arms, sanctity of life, and the needs of our veterans and first responders. Now, switching is easy. All you have to do is just go to PatriotMobile.com or call their U.S.-based customer service team at 972-PATRIOT. Make sure you use the promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, my name, for free activation. Now, if you're a conservative-owned business and you're tired of seeing your hard-earned dollars go to corporate woke agendas, Patriot Mobile now offers competitive business plans to suit companies of any size. To switch to Patriot Mobile business, it's easy. Learn more at business.patriotmobile.com or call their 100% U.S.-based member services team at 469-PATRIOT. Again, make sure you use promo code DOC, that's D-O-C, for free activation. That's business.patriotmobile.com or the number 469-FREEDOM, different from the regular Patriot Mobile number, which is 972-PATRIOT. Regular Patriot Mobile number, 972-PATRIOT, business Patriot Mobile number, 469-FREEDOM. All right, very good. Now, let's look at, before we get to what the craziness going on in Arizona and Mike Pence's 
unfortunate op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. Let's look at more of the response to President Trump's statement. Sonny Wright over on Twitter says, DeSantis won re-election by double digits and brought the state party with him. It's a blow to Trump's ego, and Trump will burn down the house with all of us in it before he lets his ego suffer. Yikes. Now, I think we were all really excited when Glenn Youngkin got elected governor of Virginia last year, and Winsome Sears, black conservative Republican, was elected lieutenant governor. So she had a response to President Trump's statement today about uh, Ron DeSantis herself. She was on uh, Fox Business Network with uh, Neil Cavuto. When we look at the mission, and as a Marine, we're looking at the mission, and, you know, the voters have spoken, and they have said that they want a different leader. And a true leader understands when they have become a liability. A true leader understands that it's time to step off the stage. And the voters have given us that very clear message. So because does that, does that apply within the Republican Party, Lieutenant Governor, to Donald Trump, that it's time to step off the stage? Yes, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And and indeed, that's where we are today. And as I said before, America is the prize. Why do we want, want to win elections? It's because we've got to learn to love, to get, love each other, live together, uh, govern together. And the voters are saying enough is enough. So if the party wants to move on, or some of the parties, such as yourself, Lieutenant Governor, uh, maybe Governor Youngkin feels the same way, uh, but Donald Trump still makes a speech next week that he wants to run for president. What would you think about that? I could not support him. I, I just couldn't, because we have seen, for example, in those states where he has endorsed uh, the candidates, in fact, Republicans on the same ticket who he did not endorse, overperformed, whereas his candidates totally underperformed by as much as 10 points. We have a clear mission, and it is time to move on. Lieutenant Governor Winston Sears, thank you. Uh, we know you have a very pressed schedule, so we appreciate your taking the time. Uh, wow. I, uh, I didn't expect that. I thought she was going to be talking about uh, Trump's statement today. Good grief. So Hans Monkey over at um, theepictimes.com, in response to President Trump's statement, uh, slamming, belittling Governor DeSantis, said, for six years, we've been hearing how James Comey, Robert Mueller, Adam Schiff, Colonel Vindman, Joe Biden, Merrick Garland, etc., were all going to take Trump down. In the end, he took himself down. Wow. That's uh That's some strong words, bro. Justin Hart, who I interviewed the other day. He said Governor DeSantis has a choice. One he can either sit back and watch Trump implode, or two, 
he can challenge him straight up starting in 2023. It looks like option one, just sit back and watch him implode, will materialize before the end of the year. This, talking about Trump's statement, is just unhinged. Wow. There's a lot of concern out there. I mean, we're a few weeks away from a, a runoff election. Herschel Walker, we're hoping and praying, will beat Raphael Warnock in Georgia. And I, I don't think we should be distracted right now. The great Mark Levin, the great one, his response, he says, I don't know what any of that has to do with Ron DeSantis. I don't know why President Trump keeps shooting himself in the foot. Yeah. The great David Reboy over on Twitter, who has hundreds of thousands of followers, he says, conventional wisdom says it's going to be an ugly and brutal 2024 GOP primary fight. I've always thought that was oversold. There's a very good chance it won't be. He makes a prediction. He says Trump will continue spinning out, focused on this crap and ignoring all the actual issues. DeSantis will be making our head spin with based victories in Florida. Other GOP candidates will attack Trump in hopes of raising their profiles, and Trump will destroy them. Don't forget, DeSantis has ignored Trump successfully for two years, barreling ahead with victory after victory. Absolutely no reason to change, and he won't. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, The great Gunther Eagleman also over there on Twitter says, I love Trump's passion. But instead of a focus on DeSantis, why not focus on real Republican rhinos like McCarthy, McConnell, and Dan Crenshaw? Well, good question, but maybe he doesn't have a problem with them. No, McCarthy, like one of the other guys said, is the establishment, and Trump endorsed him early. Early. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that's the problem. I I don't know, fam. I can't call it. But it sure is weird. Wow. John Hinderaker. Over a Powerline blog. The guy who started Powerline blog many, many moons ago. Put up an article this afternoon called Dementia Dawn. In the article, he printed Donald Trump's entire statement Hendraker's only response is to say this would be an embarrassment coming from a 12-year-old. Time to get Trump off the stage before he does further damage to our party and our country. Wow. A lot of strong feelings out there. A lot of people going, what are you doing? You know? I mean, DeSantis hasn't even said I'm going to run for anything. He said I'm focusing on, you know, being governor. And Trump freaks out. Well, that's not good enough. I don't know, man. It's just very unfortunate, in my humble opinion. And you're entitled to it. 
Okay, we got to talk about what's going on in Arizona. Because every time I turn on Fox News, everybody except Tucker is like, no, everything's fine. You know, they're just going to get it worked out. Fox and Friends on Thursday morning was like, no, we're, we're not suggesting anything is uh, untoward is going on in Maricopa County, Arizona. Neil Cavuto in the afternoon, Alicia Acuna was like, well, this is what's going on. This is why it's going to take, you know, a few more days. Oh, okay, that's fine. It's ridiculous. We'll get to that in a moment. First, I'm going to have to share with you Mike Pence's op-ed from Wall Street Journal, because, boy, did he put his foot in it. That's coming up in just a moment. First, though, let me ask you, are you having problems with sinuses and allergies? Are you experiencing dizziness, vertigo? Do you have problems with your blood sugar, maybe psoriasis, migraines? The Arkansas Cervical Center might be able to help you. Let me tell you how. Your skull weighs anywhere from 8 to 15 pounds. It rests on the top bone of your spinal column, the atlas, which only weighs two ounces. So it's really easy for your atlas to get out of alignment. If it does, your whole spinal column could get kinked up like a chain. Now, when that happens, your central nervous system isn't able to communicate with the rest of your body as it's designed to do. I had severe hay fever for five or six weeks every spring all my life. When I got my atlas adjusted, the hay fever went away. Never came back. Migraines went away too, and they never came back. Again, if you're suffering from sinus conditions, allergies, vertigo, blood sugar issues, psoriasis, migraines, do yourself a favor. Call my friends at Arkansas Cervical Center, 501-279-2009 for free consultation. They've helped me. They've helped my wife. They've helped so many people we know. Please call them to see if they can help you. That number again for your free consultation is 501-279-2009. Now, if you're outside Central Arkansas and you're going, man, I wish I was close enough to go, we have an option for you too. Go to the website, turnmypoweron.com, click on the button that says find a doctor near me, and I sure hope you can. Mike Pence has a new book coming out. It's his memoir. It's called So Help Me God. And so they have printed an excerpt from it in the Wall Street Journal opinion page. It's called Mike Pence, My Last Days with Donald Trump. So let's see what he says here. 13 days after the 2020 election, I had lunch with President Trump. I told him that if his legal challenges came up short, he could simply accept the results, move forward with the transition, and start a political comeback, winning the Senate runoffs in Georgia, the 2021 Virginia governor's race, and the House and Senate in 2022. Then he could run for president in 2024 and win. He seemed unmoved, even weary. He said, I don't know, 2024 is so far off. In a December 5th call, the president for the first time mentioned challenging the election results in Congress. 
By mid-December, the Internet was filled with speculation about my role. An irresponsible TV ad by a group calling itself the Lincoln Project suggested that when I presided over the January 6th joint session of Congress to count the electoral votes, it would prove that I knew it's over and that by doing my constitutional duty, I would be putting the final nail in the coffin of the president's re-election. To my knowledge, it was the first time anyone implied I might be able to change the outcome. It was designed to, in- to annoy the president. It worked. During a December cabinet meeting, President Trump told me the ad, quote, looked bad for you, unquote. I replied that it wasn't true. I had fully supported the legal challenges to the election and would continue to do so. On December 19th, the president mentioned plans for a rally in Washington on January 6th. I thought that would be useful to call attention to the proceedings. I had just spoken with a senator about the importance of vetting concerns about the election before Congress and the American people. At the White House on December 21st, Ohio Representative Jim Jordan led lawmakers in a discussion about plans to bring objections. I promised that all properly submitted objections would be recognized and fully debated. On December 23rd, my family boarded Air Force Two to spend Christmas with friends. As we flew across America, President Trump retweeted an obscure article titled Operation Pence Card. It alluded to the theory that if all else failed, I could alter the outcome of the election on January 6th. I showed it to my wife, Karen, and rolled my eyes. On December 30th, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley announced that he would co-sponsor election objections brought by representatives. I welcomed Senator Hawley's decision because it meant we would have a substantive debate. Without a senator's support, I would have been required to dismiss House objections without debate, something I did not want to do. Early on New Year's Day, the phone rang. Texas Representative Louie Gohmert and other Republicans had filed a lawsuit asking a federal judge to declare that I had exclusive authority and sole discretion to decide which electoral votes should count. The president said, I don't want to see Pence opposes Gohmert's suit as a headline this morning. I told him I did oppose it. He asked, if it gives you the power, why would you oppose it? I told him, as I had many times, that I don't believe I possess that power under the Constitution. The president chided me, saying, you're too honest. Hundreds of thousands are going to hate your guts. People are going to think you're stupid. On Saturday, January 2nd, I instructed my chief of staff to issue a statement supporting the right of lawmakers to bring objections under the Electoral Count Act. By Sunday morning, the headline, Pence Welcomes Congressional Republicans' Bid to Challenge Electoral Votes, was everywhere. When the president called me that morning, his mood had brightened. He exclaimed, You have gone from very unpopular to popular. But then he pressed me again to reject electoral votes unilaterally. He said, you can be an historic figure, but if you wimp out, you're just another somebody. On January 4th, 
the president's chief of staff, Mark Meadows, summoned me to the Oval Office for a meeting with a long list of attendees, including the legal scholar, John Eastman. I listened respectfully as Mr. Eastman argued that I should modify the proceedings which require that electoral votes be opened and counted in alphabetical order by saving the five disputed states until the end. Mr. Eastman claimed I had the authority to return the votes to the states until each legislature certified which of the competing slate of electors for the state was correct. I had already confirmed that there were no competing electors. Mr. Eastman repeatedly qualified his argument, saying it was only a legal theory. So I asked him, do you think I have the authority to reject or return votes? He stammered, saying, well, it's never been tested in the courts, so I think it is an open question. At that, I turned to the president, who was distracted, and said, Mr. President, did you hear that? Even your lawyer doesn't think I have the authority to return electoral votes. The president nodded. As Mr. Eastman struggled to explain, the president replied, I like the other thing better, presumably meaning that I could simply reject electoral votes. On January 5th, I got an urgent call that the president was was asking to see me in the Oval Office. The president's lawyers, including Mr. Eastman, were now requesting that I simply reject the electors. I later learned that Mr. Eastman had conceded to my general counsel that rejecting electoral votes was a bad idea and any attempt to do so would be quickly overturned by a unanimous Supreme Court. This guy didn't even believe what he was telling the president. Right before going to bed, I saw that the Trump campaign had issued a statement. The New York Times reported that I had told the president I didn't believe I had the power to block congressional certification of the election. That was true, but the statement called it fake news. I had a feeling that January 6, 2021 was going to be a very long day. I rose early that day and worked on my statement to Congress. When the phone rang a little after 11 a.m., it was the president. I said, despite the press release you issued last night, I have always been forthright with you, Mr. President. I reiterated that I didn't believe I had the power to decide which electoral votes would count and said I would be issuing a statement to Congress confirming that before the joint session started. The president laid into me. He said, you'll go down as a wimp. If you do that, I made a big mistake five years ago. But when he said, you're not protecting our country, you're supposed to support and defend our country, I calmly reminded him we both took an oath to support and defend the Constitution. As I headed to the Capitol, President Trump took the stage. He told the crowd, I hope Mike is going to do the right thing. I hope so, I hope so, because if Mike Pence does the right thing, we win the election. Repeating the argument, 
made by the crank lawyers standing just off stage. He said all he has to do, all this is, this is from the number one or certainly one of the top constitutional lawyers in our country. All Vice President Pence has to do is send it back to the states to recertify and we become president and you are the happiest people. As our motorcade arrived at the Capitol, I saw thousands of protesters standing peacefully on the East Lawn. I felt compassion for all the good people who had traveled to Washington, having been told that the outcome of the election could be changed. They cheered as we entered. I turned to my daughter and sighed, God bless those people. They're going to be so disappointed. I had no idea that what was later described as a wall of people had formed about a block west of the Capitol. As I led senators onto the House floor, the mood was solemn. There was no indication of the mayhem unfolding outside. Speaker Nancy Pelosi gaveled the chamber into session a little after 1 p.m. When the electoral votes for Arizona were opened, Representative Paul Gosar rose to raise the first objection of the day, co-sponsored by 60 representatives. When I asked if the motion had a Senate sponsor, Ted Cruz rose. I adjourned the joint session and accompanied senators back to their chamber, still oblivious to the riot outside. The riot, huh? I wonder how much intellectual curiosity Mike Pence has had to actually investigate what happened. The fact that Trump supporters were peaceful until Capitol Police started shooting flashbang grenades and some of the canisters hit some of them. I wonder if he's had the intellectual curiosity to find out what actually happened that day. But I digress. Pence continues. He says, 40 minutes into the session, Republican James Lankford of Oklahoma had the floor when the Senate parliamentarian, Elizabeth McDonough, seated a few feet in front of me, leaned back in her chair and whispered, Mr. Vice President, protesters have breached the building's doors on the first floor, just informing you. Yeah, I wonder if all these many months later, 22 months later, Mike Pence has any idea that A, the people who broke the windows look like Antifa, and B, other than that, police officers held the doors open for peaceful protesters to saunter in. I wonder if he has any idea. He says, a member of my Secret Service detail walked onto the Senate floor straight to my chair and said, Mr. Vice President, we got to go. I was confident that the U.S. Capitol Police would soon have the situation in hand, so I told him we'd wait in the nearby ceremonial office reserved for my use as President of the Senate. Soon my lead Secret Service agent, Timothy Giebels, walked into that crowded office and said, Sir, we got to get you out of the building. The protesters who had smashed their way into the House side of the Capitol were heading for the Senate. I later learned that many had come looking for me.
Really? Protesters smashed their way into the house side of the Capitol. See, what I've seen is peaceful people staying inside rope lines. I wonder where he's getting this from. He says, I told my detail that I wasn't leaving my post. Mr. Giebel's pleaded for us to leave. The rioters had reached our floor. I pointed my finger at his chest and said, you're not hearing me. I'm not leaving. I'm not giving those people the sight of a 16-car motorcade speeding away from the Capitol. Okay, he answered in a voice that made it clear that it wasn't okay. He said, well, we can't stay here. This office only has a glass door, and we can't protect you. My daughter, Charlotte, sensing my frustration, asked, isn't there somewhere else Dad can go that is still in the Capitol? Mr. Giebel said we could move to the loading dock and garage a few stories below. I agreed. The steps were secured. We walked out into the hall slowly. All around us was a blur of motion and chaos. Security and police officers directing people to safety, staffers shouting and running for shelter. I heard footsteps and angry chanting. Making our way to the basement of the Capitol took a few extra minutes because I insisted that we walk, not run. The Secret Service team begrudgingly accommodated me. Now, wait a minute. He said a little bit earlier, he later found out that people were looking for him. Has Mike Pence ever once mentioned Ray Epps, the guy who on January 5th and January 6th said, we got to go into the Capitol. That's where our problems are. Has Mike Pence ever asked why Ray Epps has not been prosecuted? Has Mike Pence ever asked why the January 6th committee is doing nothing? Is doing nothing about people like Ray Epps and the guy with the glasses on the scaffolding. These people actually were instigating what went on. I uh, I can't find any evidence anywhere that Mike Pence has said anything about any of this. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everybody in Trump's inner circle has been investigated and subpoenaed except for Mike Pence. I just, uh, I just, uh, I don't know, man. Anyway, but I digress. Mike Pence continues in his uh, excerpt from his new book coming out here. He says, Arriving in the loading dock, we saw that our motorcade had been repositioned with all the cars pointed toward a ramp leading out. Mr. Giebels began to escort us toward our cars. I stopped and said, I'm not getting in the car. He replied, Sir, we're just going to have you wait in the car, but we are not leaving the Capitol. I said, Tim, I believe you. You're a man of integrity, but you're not driving that car. I knew that if we got into the car, somebody would tell the driver to get us out of the building. We had no television in the garage. So my staff and security team briefed me on the situation using police radio communications and Twitter. The House and Senate leaders had been whisked away to a secure location off Capitol Hill 
but other members were barricaded in the House chamber as Capitol Police worked to hold back the mob. Hold back the mob, huh? I wonder if Mike Pence has ever thought, gee, I wonder how many federal assets were in that so-called mob. Especially since an assistant FBI director under oath would not answer that question when Ted Cruz asked it. I think if you are expecting Mike Pence to consider anything like that, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Anyway, he says, My unflappable assistant, Zach Bauer, walked up sheepishly and handed me his phone. The president had sent a tweet at 2.24 p.m. which said Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done to protect our country and our Constitution, giving states a chance to certify a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they are asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth. Then Mike Pence says, Rioters were ransacking the Capitol. Some of them, I was later told, were chanting, Hang Mike Pence. I ignored the tweet and got back to work. Well, who told you, sir? And how do you decide who to believe, sir? So many of those Capitol Police are crisis actors sold out to help Biden and Pelosi take over this country. Rioters were ransacking the Capitol, really? How many of them were federal agents, sir? I haven't seen a whole lot of ransacking going on. Anyway, he says... My chief of staff arranged for a conference call with the congressional leadership. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell made the point that it was imperative Congress reconvene as soon as possible to complete the vote count. Everyone agreed. Yeah, he probably voted for uh, for Biden. By 2.38 p.m., it appeared that cooler heads had prevailed at the White House. The president tweeted out, Please support our Capitol Police and law enforcement. They are truly on the side of our country. Stay peaceful. A half hour later, he urged the rioters to, quote, remain peaceful, no violence. Remember, we are the party of law and order. Respect the law and our great men and women in blue, unquote. At 4.17 p.m., the president issued a video telling the rioters Notice how Pence accepts the narrative of the deep state. Trump tweeted, quote, I know your pain, I know your hurt, but you have to go home now, we have to have peace, unquote. Also notice how Pence didn't mention that any of these statements were actually videos of Trump. Also notice that Pence doesn't acknowledge that Twitter took them down quickly. Trump is appealing for peace, nonviolence, by video, and Twitter deletes these tweets almost immediately. Fascinating that Pence wouldn't want to uh, bring that up. He says, by 7 p.m., we had been cleared to return to my office. When the session reconvened, everything changed. Many lawmakers withdrew support for objections that had been properly filed. Well, the Fed direction, the setup worked then, didn't it? He says, beyond the violence and destruction, the January 6th rioters have managed to end the debate over election irregularities. Well, that's why there are a lot of feds there to make sure that happened that day. And you don't get it, do you, Mike? Then he says, 
At around 3.40 a.m., Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota read the results of the 2020 election. He says, I met with the president on January 11th. He looked tired and his voice seemed fainter than usual. He began, how are you? How are Karen and Charlotte? I replied tersely that we were fine and told him that they had been at the Capitol on January 6th. He responded with a hint of regret. He said, I just learned that. He then asked, were you scared? I replied, no, I was angry. You and I had our differences that day, Mr. President. And seeing those people tearing up the Capitol infuriated me. No, wait a minute. You actually saw people tearing up the Capitol? I haven't seen that myself. Maybe maybe if Pelosi would be willing to release the 14,000 hours of security camera video, we would see something. But anyway... I digress. He started to bring up the election, saying the people were angry, but his voice trailed off. I told him he had to set that aside, and he responded quietly, yeah. I said, those people who broke into the Capitol might have been supporters, but they are not our movement. Or they might have been federal agents, Mike. You ever consider that? Broke in? What about the people who were welcomed in by the police? That's not going to come up, is it? No, of course it isn't. He says, for five years, we had both spoken to crowds of the most patriotic, law-abiding, God-fearing people in the country. With genuine sadness in his voice, the president mused, what if we hadn't had the rally? What if they hadn't gone to the Capitol? Then he said, it's too terrible to end like this. On January 14th, The day after President Trump was impeached for the second time, I stopped by the Oval Office. The night before, he had unequivocally denounced the violence at the Capitol and called for calm and national unity. I congratulated him on his address. He said, I knew you'd like it. He seemed discouraged, so I reminded him that I was praying for him. He said, don't bother. As I stood to leave, he said, it's been fun. I answered, a privilege, Mr. President. He answered, yeah, with you. Walking toward the door leading to the hallway, I paused, looked the president in the eye, and I said, I guess we will just have to disagree on two things. He said, what? I referred to our disagreement about January 6th, and then I said, I'm also never going to stop praying for you. He smiled and said, that's right. Don't ever change. Okay, so that, that is Mike Pence. That article is adapted from his memoir, So Help Me God, coming out on November 15th. And it's in the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday the 9th, article entitled, or an op-ed entitled, Mike Pence, colon, My Last Days with Donald Trump. Now, I want to look at something because the great Julie Kelly has some thoughts about Mike Pence's op-ed. I mean, I shared my thoughts with you as we went through it. But she said upon reading this op-ed that Mike Pence put in the Wall Street Journal, she says, what struck me most about the timeline in Pence's excerpt is he intentionally omits the part when he waited until right before joint session convened to release his letter confirming he wouldn't interfere in electoral vote count. 
If he knew, as he claims, he had no plan to do anything of the sort, why did he wait until the last minute to publicly say so? Why not issue the letter that morning or on January 5th, for that matter? His last-minute punt, after teasing that he might actually do something, really agitated the crowd that day. Harsh videos condemning Pence have been used as evidence against January 6th defendants, by the way. She said, I never thought the Pence move was doable. That having been said, he delayed his announcement, which wasn't even necessary until the last minute for maximum political impact. Not sure who in the GOP, outside of the folks over at Dispatch and the National Review, this appeals to. Now, there's an interesting response to her. One person on Twitter says, Pence told us he would make sure only legal votes would be counted days before. Then he released his letter while Trump was actually speaking at his rally. It's almost as if he was intentionally trying to incite the crowd. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's a, that's a rough one. All right, now, having said all that, let's take a look at Arizona, shall we? Because Arizona is a big old mess. And Kyle Becker over TrendingPolitics.com is bringing the heat. Article entitled, The Arizona Voting Machine's Disaster in Maricopa County is Even Worse Than We Thought, he says, Arizona election officials' use of voting machines in Maricopa County has once again cast a dark cloud over a highly contested election. On election day, when most Republicans turn out to vote in elections, it was reported that voting machine problems caused delays in an estimated 20% of the polls in Maricopa County. On Tucker Carlson tonight on Fox News Channel, Carrie Lake said that the voting machine delays caused issues in predominantly Republican-leaning precincts in Maricopa County. She said, I feel 100% certain I'm going to win. The question is, how big will that win be? Can you believe this, Tucker? We still have 650,000 votes that have not been counted. And guess, who these, and guess who these voters are? They're the people who showed up on Election Day, right? They're the people, 275,000 of them, are people who brought their mail-in ballots to the polls on Election Day because they don't trust the mail and they don't trust the drop boxes. So guess who those voters are? There are voters, and we're only down by a few thousand votes right now. Oh, that's a typo. They're our voters. And we're only down by a few thousand votes right now. When these votes come in, I think we're going to see a lot of liberal minds kind of blowing up. She went on. She said, they've been calling me an election denier. I've been sounding the alarm on the 2020 November 3rd election, which was disastrous. And we had problems in the August 2nd primary as well. And now we have the same problems. They have all this time to get this figured out. She said, and you know where the main problems or 20% of those machines went down, the tabulator machines? And I noticed 
They were primarily in Republican areas of town, Arcadia, Anthem, a lot of different areas. It was really a shame. We ended up voting in a very liberal part of town because we can choose which vote center to go to. And they said they'd had no problems there. The bigger issue is we can't keep having this problem. This is what I've been trying to say. I want all Democrats, independents, and Republicans to trust in the system. And when I win, and trust me, we will win this, this is going to be top of my agenda. Now, Carrie Lake delivered the good news on the Louder with Crowder podcast with Stephen Crowder that this estimate of early ballots delivered on Election Day is 384,000 votes, and she estimated that 2 to 1 or even 3 to 1 could break her way. It turns out the voting machine issues were more widespread than earlier reported. It wasn't just 60 voting machines that experienced delays. It was actually 70 out of the total of 223 voting machines. Charlie Kirk noted, Now Maricopa County says 70 out of its 223 voting locations were impacted by printer problems on Tuesday, up from the initial estimate of about 60. Election Day voters skew heavily Republican. What a joke. The great conservative attorney, Harmeet Dillon, lawyer working with the Kerry Lake campaign, remarked on the voting machine issues. Here's what she said on Twitter on Thursday the 10th. In response to the Washington Post talking about the printer problems on the 70 uh, locations, she said, this is what we were saying from the GOP war room Tuesday, and I announced with Carrie Lake at her press conference after voting on November 8th. At noon on Election Day, at least 27% of the voting centers had one or both tabulators not functioning. Some also had printer malfunctions. Terrible fail. Now, a Maricopa County judge denied a GOP lawsuit that hours be extended to accommodate the voting machine errors. The Washington Post was quick to dismiss any criticism of the dysfunctional voting machines on Election Day as triggering unfounded fraud claims. Yeah, Fox and Friends dismissed it too. But anyway, I think we see what's going on here. Now, let's see if we can get an update. Okay, they've added a little bit more. They've added a little bit more in Arizona. Last night, Katie Hobbs only had a 4,000 vote lead on Kerry Lake. Now she has about a 27,000 vote lead, with 79% of the vote in. And by the way, um, they have put up fences around the election building, the voting center in Maricopa County, Phoenix, Arizona. They kicked one reporter out, Ben Burkwam, Real America's Voice. Have you heard about this? Yeah, here he is. 
All right, guys, just to give you an update, we're out here in Maricopa County. We were inside. We were outside reporting. Our cameraman went inside. He was there for an hour. Uh, they weren't requiring press credentials when he went in. I went in. We're about to do a live hit on Steve Bannon on the War Room. And uh, a few minutes later, I believe the CNN producer complained about us. Then the clerk that actually kicked us out in 2020 came in, kicked us out, started asking for red press credentials, came right to us, ended up kicking us out, uh, but left several other reporters in there right now that don't have this. Red Press credentials. We applied for them, so just to play devil's advocate, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt, but it's the same person in 2020 who kicked us out for no reason. They didn't have press credential requirements, uh, although I had my press credential then. It's the same person. I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt, but we're going to wait and see what they say from our application. Stay tuned. We're going to stay out here, though. Bottom line is we're going to get the answers. Carrie Lake's going to be the governor, and when this happens, this is going to change. We're actually going to have uh, clarity and openness in the election in Arizona. And hopefully we don't have days and days and days of elections. This just has to end. That's what Terry's been talking about. This is absolutely outrageous. And just to show you something else here. So look at the barricades. This was set up after 2020. Uh, these are, we've got sheriff's officers. It looks like at least eight vehicles now uh, here. We've got the walls set up. Again, the same people that say walls on our southern border are racist, but they can have walls around their buildings. We've got the, the law enforcement here. They actually escorted me off the property. This this is happening here. And when we're supposed to have free and fair elections, this is what's going on here. It's just absolutely out of control. And this is also, it's all part of the narrative that Republicans, that conservatives are insurrectionists. It's what we say, what you see going after January 6th and the political prisoners in Washington, D.C. right now, while they ignored BLM and Antifa burning down our country for four years. It's all connected. They wanted to de demotivate people from showing up and they can't do it. They wanted to destroy Carrie Lake and others like her, uh, Marjorie Taylor green and others like her and they, it didn't work the american people conservatives are seeing through it and they're going to continue to fight on it's just outrageous we're not in com communist china or russia this is this is america or at least it used to be well we're not there yet but that certainly seems to be where they're trying to take us i believe that katie hobbs secretary of state of Arizona, who's the Democrat nominee for governor up against Carrie Lake, and refuses to recuse herself. I believe she and her staff are actually trying to steal this from Carrie Lake. That's what it looks like to me. Now, somebody over on CNN earlier today was interviewing a guy named Bill Gates. No, not that Bill Gates, but the Maricopa County, Arizona election supervisor, Bill Gates, who's explaining quite jovially that even though Florida has, what, three times the population Arizona has, and they got everything wrapped up on election night, now these guys, it could take a week, and the girl just laughs. When do you anticipate the votes will be counted in total, those 400,000-plus votes? Well, we have uh, we will be going into next week. There's some onesie twosies uh, again pursuant to Arizona law, but I think that we'll see the lion's share here wrap up by early next week. Okay. Early next week? Can you give me a day? Are we early, talking Monday? Or we may, may, maybe some onesies twosies? What do you got a a toddler in diapers? What are you even talking about? Some onesies twosies? Unbelievable. Un freaking believable. 
Now, there are a couple of things I talked about on my last episode. Not just the fact that the feds dumb busted bankroll Freddie. That was a big deal for all you hip-hop fans out there. <laughs> oh, yes, that's right. Plenty of hip-hop fans listen to Doc Washburn's show. <laughs> but also, the idea of the difference between votes and ballots. The difference between votes and ballots. And I'm sure Molly Hemingway did not hear my podcast. But I'll tell you one thing. She uh, she sure followed up on it. Molly Hemingway was on with Laura Ingram on Fox last night. Molly Hemingway is executive editor of thefederalist.com, right? I believe that's what it is. And here's what she said. We really did see, given all the enthusiasm that was in the country, that Republican leadership really failed Republican voters. Republican voters were excited. The, the ground was very fertile for a big Republican victory. Joe Biden's approval is in the toilet. Uh, 75% of the country thinks we're going in the wrong direction. Just objectively speaking, things are bad in the country, whether it's the southern border or crime or foreign policy, inflation. And that Republican leaders could not turn that into a big victory for Republicans really is an indictment of how they're running things. That elections are not run anymore like they were in the 1980s. There is now extensive period of voting where people who are smart are running get-out-the-vote operations every day, hauling in ballots every day. Republicans keep on thinking that Election Day is a single day, and they think if they get everybody excited for that last day that that will be sufficient. That is not sufficient. There needs to be an effective ground game that is on Republican leadership, and there's only so much that everybody else can do with their enthusiasm enthusiasm and everything else. Uh, I mean, she's got them dead to rights there, you know? And again, unless they really clean up these swing states, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, Michigan, I don't see how a Republican ever gets elected president again, you know? Why wouldn't they continue stealing it just the way they did in 2020? Anyway, I just felt the need to share that with you. All right, I guess it's about that time again. Hit it, Brian. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. It's the Doc Washburn Show Tweet of the Day. Brought to you by RedRiverYourWay.com. Red River Your Way, the big old car dealership in the middle of the USA that believes in freedom including your freedom to buy the car, truck, van, or SUV of your choice the way you want to online, have it delivered to your front door, anywhere in the continental United States of America. Today's Tweet of the Day is from the great John Solomon, justthenews.com. And the tweet says, repudiation. Judge said to Joe Biden, in this country, we're not ruled by an all-powerful executive with a pen and a phone. Instead, we are ruled by a constitution that provides for three distinct and independent branches of government. Now, what is all that about? The article from justinnews.com, Judge Strikes Down Biden Student Loan Forgiveness Plan as Unconstitutional. 
Praise God from whom all blessings flow. So thank you, Mitch Ward, and thank you, RedRiverYourWay.com, for sponsoring the Tweet of the Day. You've been listening to Episode 279 of the all-new Doc Washburn Show. The views and opinions expressed on the Doc Washburn Show do not necessarily reflect those of our advertisers, but they love us and we love them. Today's program has been produced by Tim Terrible, directed by Mick Messy. This has been a terribly messy production. Portions of today's show will be taken overseas and dropped. If you like a transcript of today's episode of the all-new Doc Washburn Show, simply peel the roof off a Rolls-Royce panel truck and send it to Mansour's Computer Solutions, 7th floor of the Ephemeral B. Smoot Building, Whitehall, Arkansas, in care of Sheriff Mansour Sempier X. And that's the way it is. Thursday, November 10th, 2022.